Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben show. As I speak, it is Friday, December 1st, 2023. Uh, I'm going to open uh, with a little conversation about something I'm not going to be discussing uh, really probably in any great length with my distinguished guest, although knowing my distinguished guest and allowing him talking a little bit, filibustering a little bit, allow him to finish his delicious meal which looks absolutely delectable. You think he would have got some for me, but no. <laughs> so he's still finished finishing that delicious dinner. And I just have to say something a little about what's going on in my mini world, my mini uh, uh, podcasting empire that I run here. Uh, so I did an interview with Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. 20th Ward Alderman, good friend of the show, has been on the show many times. I've known Jeanette Taylor for many, many years. Uh, she's very frustrated with the Brandon Johnson administration, to put it mildly. Uh, and she said some critical things about the Brandon Johnson administration. So I'm going to now um, reveal something about the Ben Jarowski show, Empire, the podcasting empire, where we may fall a little bit, fall short. Um, we have. <laughs> if you, I can't even say we have the worst promotion team in the world because we have really no promotion team. I just do all these interviews. I do all these conversations. Uh, my my brilliant producers make them sound good. We drop them on the internet and uh, move on to the next one. Okay, so we dropped Jeanette on Tuesday. Moved on when Roe Anderson had a great conversation with him. Uh, I forget, man. I can't. I've interviewed so many people. It doesn't matter. I've had a lot of great conversations. All right. Uh, oh, Jimmy Coogan had a great conversation with him. And then uh, I get a text uh, from my distinguished guest, who's right now uh, moving into a uh, second round of his dinner. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he texted me, this one is a, a trip. Now, this distinguished guest is of the millennial persuasion. And as such, uh, he keeps me informed of what's going on on Twitter. And at one point he gave me access to his Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> so whenever I wanted to use Twitter, I had to go to his account. Oh, I am pathetic. I admit it. So, uh, he sent me this text from some right winger named Austin which is so funny, man. <laughs> this dude works for the Illinois Policy Institute, and he pretty much hates everything uh, that I stand for, what I believe in. But because Alderman, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor spoke out uh, uh, against Brandon Johnson, and I think he misspelled her name, by the way. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> hey, no one said right-wingers were good spellers, okay? All right? They believe in meritocracy for everyone else. All right. Do you think I'd get that job if I spelled that way for that right wing organization? No. Um, so I guess let me f follow the logic. So if I run a, um, 
uh, interview with someone who's critical, of someone from the left who's critical from uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson. I am now a friend of the right. And they promote my show. This happened with the Tribune. I forget who it was. The Tribune was promoting something I did. I can't remember. It may have been an interview with my, no, it was definitely not an interview with my distinguished guest from the Tribune. Um, I forget who it was. It was, uh, it was some interview. They used some interview that I did in order to trash somebody at the Brandon Johnson administration. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm just a friend of all right wingers. That's I'm here guys. I'm here to serve. All right. You know, and the funny thing is, nine, uh, 99 out of 100 comments I make are critical of the right. You never see the kid from IPI tweet that out. You never see the Chicago Tribune editorial board opine on that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just happy to be of service to the, the right of America because apparently, you know, they need all the help they can get. All right, without further ado. I enjoyed that little piece of irony. I'm going to uh, ask my distinguished guest uh, to introduce himself. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a conversation about something completely different. Although I got a, th- I got a feeling he may open uh, with a few thoughts <laughs> on that irony. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Moise Bawani, uh, public school teacher. Uh, <clears throat> you know, back here on the Ben Jarofsky show. I'm grateful to be here on the John Cass, I mean, Ben Jarofsky show. Sorry, I almost said John Cass. Um, you know, big fan of yours, Ben, and I appreciate this kind of second take on your career where you're now leading the resistance against progressivism in Chicago. So, thank you. Thank you, man. And uh, yeah, you're you know, I'm going to try to fight back against you today. Um, so, all right. Yes. <laughs> the resistance against progressivism. Uh, all right. So we could discuss politics. Moise and myself, we have discussed it many times in the past. I urge you to go check them out. Uh, but he, Moise is also a diehard uh, sports fan, a football coach, one of the most knowledgeable guys I know about football. Uh, and um, uh, he, uh, every Sunday that he's watching a Bears game, pretty much every Sunday, I get volumes of updates, uh, text from Moise, play by play pointing out the idiocy of the Chicago Bears. It is one of the most entertaining things. And sometimes, Moise, I'm not even watching the games. When I follow, like, if it's a really beautiful day, I'm going for a walk. I'm in the park walking. But I'm following the game. This is a sickness. On my phone, and I got, like, five different texts coming in, not just from you, but from other friends Yours are one of the most learned. Like, you'll analyze the individual plays of the coaches. He knows the names of the players. He knows what colleges they went to. He knows the coaches. He has, he, he has a whole program that the Bears should follow if they want to become excellent and earn the stadium that somebody is about to build for them. <laughs> Talk about resistance, feudal resistance. Yeah, if you build it on the south side, Bears, I'll support it. Um, so I really want to take uh, the Bears deep dive with you. But before we get to that, we need to discuss my beloved Bulls because something else about Moise, diehard uh, basketball fan. I don't know if he knows basketball as much as he knows football. Doesn't coach it. No, you did coach it. My bad. I, I sit corrected. Uh, and as such, I'm going to have to do something that does not come easy to me. Uh, I'm going to have to confess that Moise was right and I was wrong, okay? And and this took place, this debate took place about a year ago. I remember where it was. I was um, outside the promontory and we had just finished a show. uh, And Rosanna Rodriguez was the guest of that show. And uh, we mentioned the Bulls and you said, blow them up. Blow the Bulls up from top to bottom. And I go, no way! I'm a season ticket holder! But this season has been so devastatingly disappointing that I must concede, particularly with Zach Levine, uh, that you were correct. Um, so let's start with the Bulls. What is your uh, advice that you offer uh, the Chicago Bulls as to what they should do next for a team that started the season with a record? Even with last night's glorious win over the Bucks in overtime, they are still 6-14. and 14. 
and uh, probably the biggest disappointment, probably the laughing stock of the NBA uh, this year. So what is your advice, Moise? This is a tough one. I'll, um, <clears throat> I'm going to say really at a base level, like I'll get into the specifics, but you know, my feelings about the majority of the teams in Chicago haven't changed in terms of this basic blueprint, <clears throat> sell the team, uh, you know, get rid of the ownership. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is, I, you know, I don't care about the White Sox, for example. Like, I do want them to move to Nashville, and then you know, we can make the we can build a Bears stadium. No, actually, I don't want Bridgeport to have anything nice. So, uh, no, we won't build it over there. But you know, somewhere actually in the South Side. But um, I, I don't know. I like. I think you know when I talk about Reinsdorf and I talk about ownership, I see so many parallels between what we've seen with Rick Hahn what we're seeing with Chris Getz and the White Sox and then the Bulls, you know, ability to like be okay with languishing with Gar Packs for such a long time. And then they bring in uh, AK and Eversley. And I just, to me, the NBA has evolved. Like I, you know, a few nights ago I was watching or recently I was watching Sacramento against Golden State, which is turning into one of the league's more fun rivalries. Right. And it's funny that we're talking like basketball changes like so quickly. We're talking about how, Golden State is like the old team now, right? And Sacramento is part of like this newer generation and a different and the game changing on the basis of what Golden State did when they changed the game. Um, and then I think about us, right? Like we um, make these decisions to like, you know, we were not too far away from an era of Dwayne Wade, Ray John Rondo and Jimmy Butler. And we thought that was going to work. Um, and now we're in this system right now where, you know, we had DeRozan, Levine, and Vooch. And I think I've been saying to you, Ben, for a while that I'm like, that team has a, has a ceiling, has a definitive ceiling. They have a floor and a ceiling. And I think my main question to people in Chicago, like, which I, which is like my overall theory in general, my question, every single fan in Chicago, why is it okay to accept mediocrity? You know, why is it okay to like build these teams that we know either are that we're like excited for a fourth or fifth seed and maybe a chance, right? Like in the NBA, in one of the, if any of the leagues, any of the sports right now where I don't believe like, you know, Cinderella things are going to happen, it's the NBA. So I don't think, oh, if we get in as a four seed, we're going to go. You know what I mean? Unless you're like the Heat who traditionally get in as an eighth or Golden State and then they can make some noise because they treat the regular season very indifferently. But if you're the Bulls, where the players are taking the season seriously and we're all like, okay, a fourth seed in a second round. Like, and I'm saying this very earnestly, like deep down inside, and there's probably people who are going to listen to this be like, no, no, I want titles. But that's not true. People in Chicago get excited if like, you know, we just get to the playoffs. We just get to this. Or like the fact that right now you have Bears fans being like, we got a defense. And I'm like, we just won our first NFC North game <clears throat> under Eberflus. So I think my thing is this, you you can only really have two teams in the NBA. You can only have either a team that's a legitimate title contender, especially if you're from Chicago and you know what this city means and you know what this city means to the NBA, two different leagues. <clears throat> or you get a team full of kids who are just young, play with a lot of heart and grit, right? As you're waiting and biding time to wait for like a moment where you develop these players and maybe parlay them into a trade for a superstar and have like a strong supporting cast or you keep building to the draft what we have right now is a team of of guys who have shown you have been saying or been showing you for a while they can't play well together they just don't work together and we keep saying oh it's going to change you know overnight Zach is going to become more of a distributor damar is going to evolve but like these are the same people who you know like minnesota was okay with Zach going right they got jimmy of course but DeMar, like, you know, Kawhi is a great player, but when DeMar left, they won a title, right? And then Vooch, I think for so many people who I love who don't watch basketball, they were so impressed with Vooch because they're like, he's an all-star. But I'm like, he's playing on Orlando, a team where he's allowed to have volume. And even last night's victory where you saw Vooch was only of the quote-unquote big three on the court that they won, right? Like, he got to put up his numbers. He got to do his thing. My main thing about what the Bulls need to do is decide, are you going to be a contender? Which I think the last 15 years have kind of shown us that we can't seem to attract the, the main free, agent, free agents when they're on, when we're on the precipice. Or two, are we going to rebuild and rebuild the right way? And when you hired AK and Mark Eversley, I assumed that, you know, 
like this new blood, this new energy coming from an organization that was understanding how to develop players, that we were going to go the way of finding development, development, hitting in the draft and building a team like a good three to five year plan. Uh, but here we are. Right. And and the thing is, what, what I'll be kind of I'll give some credit and be honest about. There's so much that has happened in the terms of like, imagine if Lonzo Ball was healthy. Right. Because I thought they found the right point guard. For that team and the way Lonzo played and his defense ability, like his ability to defend, I thought that was the right guy. But, you know, the knees, right? Um, and then I think you and I, I even said, like, I was sincere about this. I think the window opened a little bit because there was one guy who I think was exactly the piece that these three guys needed because they couldn't come together. And that was Drew Holiday. But you know who else wanted Drew Holiday? Boston. And that's a franchise that gets it. We are not that franchise. So I think with the idea of them resting Zach, you got to trade Zach and you got to maximize as much as you can. But I think the idea that maybe some of us are carrying with us, that if we're going to trade Zach, we're going to trade DeMar, we better get so much in return. I think we should be grateful if we get a good haul, we get draft picks. But I think also it's like, um, man, I'm going to make myself emotional because of some other stuff going on. But like, you just got to take the relief of like, okay, you know, those we've closed the door on this chapter and now we can move ahead. Because if there's one issue with this fan, fan base, sometimes it's just this <clears throat> unrelenting belief that things are going to change or this nostalgia for who players used to be and not who they are at the moment. All right. Uh, I could defend uh, the fan base. I'll do that uh, or defend myself uh, as a fan base, a, a very typical Chicago Bull fan. But I want to push that aside for the moment uh, and deal with a couple things that you said. Number one. Uh, it's, I'm glad that you, you, you got around this pointing out that the plan, uh, uh, that, uh, AK and Eversley set up was, uh, a four person essentially monster, uh, and Lonzo Ball was a very key part of that, uh, because he brought stuff to the game that made up for the deficiencies of some of the other players, particularly on defense uh, and distribution. And... Uh, when the ball moved, he hit the open three more often than not. And one of the most disappointing things about the Bulls is how often they miss what should be a knockdown three. Uh, and uh, so when he went down with his uh, knee injury, it was very similar uh, net effect to what, what happened with the Bulls when Derrick Rose went down with his knee injury in 2012, or 2012, yes, because they had committed uh, so much money to Derrick Rose. Now he couldn't play. And so they were, they were tied. They couldn't get a player uh, to replace him because of the collective bargaining agreement. They were forced into a corner. Uh, and now they're effectively forced into a corner. They've got what has proven to be uh, a non-sustainable, non-workable trio. Uh, and so you're absolutely correct. So it's really important to point out that the plan fell apart with Lonzo Ball. Now, you could criticize the Bulls for not having s expected Lonzo Ball's knees to give out, given that he had experience with uh, injury, and that was a, a risk that they took, and it didn't work. So you can make that criticism of them. Uh, but that is, in fact, what happened. So last night, fast forward, Bulls, uh, Zach Levine is not playing. DeMar DeRozan is not playing. They've got Vooch out on the court with Kobe White, Io, uh, and um, Patrick Williams, and AC, Alex Caruso. And they beat perhaps the best team, one of the two best teams in the East, in an overtime victory that was sensational. Uh, and so that says to me that maybe what the Bulls need to do is uh, do addition by subtraction. And so, in other words, Bulls fans are like, if we're going to trade Zach, we got to get, I don't know, some a superstar in. And I'm like, guys, you're not going to get that. It may be just best to get Zach to off the roster. So you free up cal salary cap space. You can hire, bring in another free agent perhaps, uh, or you could just let the young guys play. And that's how I view it. That's where I am right now. I believe that Zach Levine has worn out his welcome in Chicago. I believe that um, I don't know of another athlete that has betrayed the fan base as much as Zach Levine has this year with sort of his general attitude. 
because, uh, you know, Chicago fans, they fall in love with their players, Moise, you know this. Uh, and when the players don't reciprocate uh, or when the players seem indifferent or aloof, like they don't care, <clears throat> then the fans turn on them. And I think that's where Chicago Bulls fans are right now. Uh, it definitely was Zach Levine. I think you take it. You're one of the few. You, I think you may. I don't know what your position on DeMar DeRozan is, uh, but uh, definitely with Zach Levine. So, you know, I believe whatever you're going to get for Zach Levine, take it and move on. Uh, and I don't know, be happy if this collection of scrubs, if you will, I have that in quotes, uh, can um, make it to uh, what? Like the in-play team, you know what I mean? The play-in team. So that's my take on it. Addition by subtraction. That's where I think they should go. They shouldn't think about getting a quality player necessarily because I don't think one will be offered. Your thoughts? You know, it's interesting because right now we're having all that discourse in Chicago about, you know, what do you do with Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles? And, <clears throat> yeah, I was talking to my brother, which I had, like, this wonderful moment with him where I was like, listen, dude, you didn't even know who these guys were, right? Because he was, we were actually debating about, like, do we keep Eberflus? And I'm like, man, I – or do we keep polls? And I was like, I, I would at this point. My brother's like, you're telling me. And I was like, listen, you don't even know who these people were. And he's like, yeah, that's why I go to the experts like you. And I was like, dang. First time in my life, my brother called me an expert on something. Um, but like, you know, in this debate, like kind of the framework I was giving him is like, what am I judging Ryan Poles on? I'm judging him like I would judge any G GM on asset management, right? What are you doing? Like, what are you going to do with Zach? What's the, what's the return you're going to get? Um, cap management draft history and then the idea of like uh of like roster construction right um i think i think you can't I don't, you don't want to treat zach as an asset especially when you know everybody in the nba sees him more as a distressed asset like he's somebody that they want on their team he's not like um you know we're getting somebody who's going to be a problem like james harden like this is a guy who just in our situation if we believe in ourselves we can get him and he'll be a great number two or three um so i do think like I'll be keeping an eye out on what assets they accumulate. Um, and same thing with DeMar. I think, I think if, if you're DeMar too, it might help if you just let them know that, Hey, I'm getting old in the tooth and I would like to be in a seriously contending team. And that might start the conversation where the bulls admit that they're going to go into a rebuild. Um, <clears throat> what I've seen from this front office, Eversley and AK from their history and their previous orgs, is that we're, they were always able to find these dogs. You know, you and I have been talking about this, like who are these dogs on the team? Like guys who make you proud to watch the Bulls, right? Javon Carter, uh, Tory Craig, uh, AO. Like these are the folks that I think the fan base will be okay watching a bunch of dudes who play hard as hell for the remainder of the year. It'll help tide some of this through. But, you know, it, it's a unique franchise, right? If we, It's a unique situation because if I look at AK, like I was talking to my brother about this, uh, AK and Eversley, like, I, I didn't like Paxson and Foreman, but the one strategy they had in the draft that would kill you or annoy you would, they they wanted to pick players who produced in college, right? Even if they had ceilings, they wanted dudes on the team who could be contributors. Um, I think Lonzo's knees, we talked about that a second ago, I think you should be, we should be critical of it because, like, you know he had injury problems, right? You knew it, and even if the idea was, oh, this was supposed to be a four-person thing, like you really put it on somebody who you, you know, his career wasn't lining up that way. Um, secondly, for like as long as you and I and whatever I think people at home, if they can see what the weakness is in the game, that's why I get so mad about the Bears, that we can see a weakness in a roster. There's something wrong if people aren't fixing it. And the issues were always three-point shooting. It was finding a point guard. And for how long are you going to sit on this, right? Like, what are you telling us that we want to win a title, but you can't replace this piece? And I know you're hamstrung by the cap, but that's why you're in the position you are to get creative and find ways to get people, find ways to make this team for its weaknesses cover up. Their drafting hasn't been strong. I think the Patrick Williams pick, that wasn't a great draft, but I think like there was a lot of weight being put on, you know, that pick, that four pick, that it was going to become someone who'd be a big deal. And, you know, being delusional as many of us are, you know, the room, the way people were like, oh, he's going to turn into Kawhi or Jimmy. That doesn't happen. That just, it doesn't happen. You know, um, I, I do think I'm going to be keeping an eye out. I don't necessarily agree in the sense of, you know, just get Zach out. I think <clears throat> for many teams in the league, and I think somebody was saying around 15 teams in the league really view Levine as 
a distressed asset, meaning like this is a guy that's not just redeemable. He just needs to be in the right place. Like for him, Chicago is it's over, right? Like the and for us too, mutually, right? I think the honeymoon is over. These feelings are over. We're ready. Um, so I hope they can find a way. I don't <clears throat> based on the last few trades that have been happening. I'll give you an example, which I don't think will happen. But like you're not going to get superstars. These superstar superstar trades aren't happening. But, like, the fact that Mikhail Bridges is on Brooklyn, right? That's, like, the thing. You want to get someone like that, someone promising who plays the game in a way that you're like, man, if we get a couple more pieces and we get one more, like, person like him, we might be working with something. Um, but the NBA in itself is so interesting, right? Like, I've been looking at the future, like, mock drafts and looking at high school and college and, like, after Wembenyama, it's going to be really interesting about who's going to be a superstar. We might be entering this era once – you know, now that LeBron and KD are older, that, like, there is no generational person, even though there's dudes like Jokic and Doncic and people who are going to be awesome. But there is this potential period of time where now we might have to see, like, really well-assembled teams try to win titles, right? So it won't be, like, <clears throat> if I get LeBron and a couple of pieces, I'll be all right. Milwaukee is kind of – they kind of sense that, too. That's why they made the deal for Dame, kind of, like, as we're heading into that territory of, like, superstar teams or you know teams with superstars but i think like we need to embrace the idea that we're going to have to build a really good team and as a basketball fan the teams that i've always enjoyed the most in this era and i know people are going to get mad but purely from an aesthetic perfect like i enjoyed the detroit team right that well-rounded team that beat the lakers i enjoyed portland back when they were like you know rasheed wallace brian grant steve smith like just like a good five right and, like, I've enjoyed, like, other teams in this league who have, like, I'm watching Minnesota right now, and I know they have some stars, but, like, watching Anthony Edwards, like, someone they drafted, they believed in, as a number one pick, turn into that guy, that's the type of stuff we should be looking at. Um, but I do, I think it's, I think for AK and Eversley, depending on where they're at in terms of is it a full rebuild or not, we'll get a better idea of what they're going to do depending on the assets they get for Zach. Um, and that's why we have to keep an eye on that. Mm. yeah well if uh get ready for quote-unquote full rebuild if zach levine is traded uh for just for draft choices now I, the you got to get really creative with the cap, salary cap uh, you can't just trade a player who makes 40 million or whatever it is that zach makes for draft choices uh the way their salary cap works there has to be uh same amount of uh, a salary on the other end of the deal. So you may have to bring a third team in. Who You, you got to get creative. And this gets what Moise is talking about. Like when you're trying to assess the talent of a general manager, a front office person, this is just all part of the equation. It's not just selecting talent. It's all also understanding how you can get your talent to work within uh, the collective bargaining agreements and the restrictions, the salary restrictions uh, that are in place there. And then thinking about what you do today and how it affects you down the road so that you're not strapped down the road as the bulls were <laughs> when Derek Rose's knee uh, blew out. Uh, and, um, uh, and then there's this other thing with the bulls. Um, and this is actually with the Bears. I'm going to, uh, we'll, we'll, this would be a good transition to the Bears. I've now, I watched it. There is a culture with Chicago sports teams. I saw it with the Cubs. I'm seeing it with the Bulls. I'm seeing it with the Bears. With the burden of the expectations of the fans base is so intense that it crushes players. And I look at the Cubs who, what was it? A hundred years of failure, 106 years. And it took Joe Madden. It took that kind of creative mind to break sort of like to confront and deal with the, uh, the, the myth of the, of the Cubs failure. He did it in a funny way, humorous way, but he confronted it. Uh, and then he almost blew it in the World Series with some of the most questionable calls I've ever seen. But that said, it took Michael Jeffrey Jordan to upset that expectation of Chicago fans that they're always going to lose. He goes, no, I don't lose. The Bears won in 85, 86. They haven't won since. The pressure 
on the Bears, that expert, that 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 just like the nostalgia for the '85 '86 team, which always gets thrown up uh, on the younger players who weren't even born then. They don't even know who these players. They may probably know who Walter Payton is, okay, or Mike Singletary, but they don't know who the other players are. And it's just, I feel it's oppressive. So you know what I'm looking for if I'm a general manager? Players who could deal with that. I believe that is, like, when you're a quarterback of the Bears, that's part of what Justin Fields is dealing with right now. Uh, that and just the most inept <laughs> offensive <laughs> scheme player divisors. Your response to what I said uh, in regards to the Bulls and the Bears, go. It's hard to say because, like, I, you know, I, I've been, I'm a Chicagoan through and through. Um, I love this city. And for, you know, the children of someone of, of people who were dispossessed from their home and, and, you know, like didn't have a home, right. And left for better opportunities here. Um, this city is my home. Right. And like speaking very genuinely from my, the heart of like having to also deal and grow up in, you know, post nine 11 America where everybody's like, go back to your country all the time. Um, and I'm like, you know, my country is Chicago. <laughs> it's not the United States. It's Chicago. But I think so deeply about this place. And I just think like, it's hard for me not to be critical and say like, you know, like I made this point to my brother, if the Lions have, hadn't been absolutely egregious for such a long time, we'd be the Lions. That's how bad the Bears have been, right? And like people need to be real about that. And, you know, the point you made about Joe Madden, it took Theo Epstein, right? It took Theo Epstein and a, and a fantastic roster construction, great drafting, a belief in people like Anthony Rizzo, who he believed in in Boston and then was like upset that they traded Rizzo to San Diego and he loved Rizzo so much. He was like, this is going to be a corner store of our team, right? It took that level of foresight uh, and it took patience. And then, you know, Joe Madden, who I know Romana's brother is going to kill me because he's like the biggest Cubs fan. He's like, if he's listening to this at some point, he's like, you don't know anything, right? Shut up, Louise. I I love the Cubs. But like, I, you know, I, I surmise Joe Madden's time as like, he was exactly who these guys needed to like not think about the pressure of 108 years, right? Even though he was a complete doofus in the World Series. And I was like, is he trying to give the game away? Um, but like, that's how good the roster was constructed, that even with questionable decision-making and Francona running laps around him, like the Cubs still won and they came back from like what seemed like it was over. I thought it was over, you know? Um, but like, you know, Michael Jordan, yes, 85 Bears, sure. Um, you know, watching the White Sox right now who were like a few years ago had the farm system, had fleeced the Cubs in a trade uh, for for a, pit, for a pitcher whose name I'm forgetting. That's how heartbroken I am about that deal. But like they got Dylan Cease out of it and they got, you know, Eloy Jimenez off of that deal, right? And then watching this complete and utter collapse and they're about to trade Dylan Cease. And I'm like, what is going on? But like we have to be realistic about this city. Like it's been bad. It's been really bad, right? Like one of my favorite poets says, you know, there's mentions about his life as like there's been a sunny day and what is like a decade of gray. And I think we've been in a decade of gray in Chicago, decades of gray, right? Um, you know, like sometimes I in, internally cringe or internally get sad. Like, you know, you were making this point, Ben, about like, oh, you know, it was for it was a four team design and we're point guard away, we're point guard away. Well, you know, this is when we say like we're this away that's what Chicago is metaphorically. We're always this away, right? But that this has so much pain attached to it. And I'll give you a tangible example. For the Bears not to win a championship with the core of players they had, Hall of Fame, Pro Bowlers, you know, Erlacher, Briggs, Peanut Tillman, Olin Krutz, for them not to win a title because Lovey Smith couldn't figure out an offensive coordinator. And then for, for this franchise right now and so many people who are who think they understand this team, watching Justin Fields struggle and like not acknowledging at all that this franchise has committed like just malice on every single person who's played the quarterback position here. Um, and then looking at this kid who this young man who I think is just incredible. Right. And then like making him go through these things. Like there was a tweet a few weeks ago or like last week where somebody's like, you know, how can anybody develop in this city when every single decision is being criticized as if, like, this is life or death, right? Or, like, it was something, like, Chris Ranji had tweeted. It was, like, really well, and I'll look for it. But he was, like, you know, the kid throws an incompletion and people are killing him online. And he's going to expect Sunday a bunch of questions of who he is. And he's trying as hard as he can to listen 
to this inept offensive coordinator and be a good teammate, be all of this. Like, I can't even imagine the pressure of knowing like your job is literally, you know, you have five games, six games left to prove that you're the quarterback of the Chicago Bears long term. And you're trying to be a good teammate. You're trying to work with someone who is overcoaching you, as you've complained, can't explain concepts, can't call a game in any capacity. And you're running for your life sometimes. And then to still be like told at some point, probably this summer, or no, uh, in this offseason that you're not the you're not who we want. We're trading you, right? Um, it is really hard to be here, but I'll add the layer of like Chicago fanship and Chicago era that like these expectations are huge because we are Chicago, but like we literally expect we've been literally like rolling in the manure. It seems like not literally, sorry, but rolling in the manure of like performance at all levels, and then we expect like stars, you know, and like. I think you add to the tragedy of like what could have been with Derrick Rose. You add to the tragedy of like certain Bears moments, like, you know, when Cutler was killing it that one year and then he broke his thumb trying to make a tackle because the wide receiver ran the wrong route. He ended up throwing an interception. And on top of that, he broke his thumb. And that team looked like it was primed to win it all, right? Or like for many of us until the Bears or the Cubs exercised the demons when we thought about Alex Gonzalez and Bartman and all those things, right? Um, And like in that, which is really what makes me sad for my brother – like the the Sox actually won a championship and everybody's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Something happened, right? Um, I think the city is hard, but I also am like, I also struggle with the idea of why when people here love mediocrity, right? Like, and I that's the paradox I'm stuck in. This is a hard city, but this is a city that loves mediocrity. This is a city that also invents, invents some of the stupidest racially like you know racial undertone narratives ever like watching this nonsense with nonsense with tyson badgett was just like absurd to me right like where people were just like willing to make a narrative out of this kid that like you know and like all the you know the stuff that i remember as a kid right like when people would would use this coded terminology of like oh he plays the game the right way oh this oh that oh this you know like he's he's exactly what we need and you're like man stop like be quiet like stop this nonsense um yeah Wait, yeah. now, before I let you go further, yep. I want you to go back and address mm-hmm. that because that's an important point. Uh, uh, it's add to the mix. Now we're getting into the, the psychology of Chicago, uh, one of my favorite topics. Um, so Tyson Badgett, uh, for, for, well, every, anybody listening to this conversation this long is a diehard, so I don't even think I need to explain. But just in case there's a tip few, as a backup quarterback, a rookie, uh, undrafted, uh, went to an obscure small school, uh, and he's white. Uh, Justin Fields uh, was a highly drafted uh, quarterback out of a big school, Ohio State, uh, who was uh, widely regarded uh, by all the scouts, and he's black. And the Bears have not won under Justin Fields. Uh, He got injured this year. And they brought in this uh, backup uh, who won a game. (laughs) And then in the aftermath, (laughs) you would have thought that Joe Namath had come back. Well, I'm I'm saying Joe Namath because that's like, to me, the quintessential great court. Tom Brady. All right. There you go. All right, boys. One, One guy white, the other guy black. Explain the dynamics of yeah, yeah. Chicago. I mean, Go ahead. I, I have a lot to say about this. And, like, I'm actually, like, getting emotional thinking about Justin. Like, I don't even know Justin Fields, right? I'm just a Bears fan who, like, has been dying to see this team look good and be good and, you know, and succeed. Um, just like every team in Chicago, right? Like, because I love this city. And I think the people here, they work so insanely hard. And I, I work in a school system that is, as talked about as it is, it is – it is loaded with people who love this city and love the young people of this city. So like, I'm always going to be rooting for Chicago, you know? Um, But like, I think about Badgett, right? Like I think about, you know, one thing that's really been emotional for me is like, as a coach, like one of the things you need, you know, I, I really reject like this culture of like, you know, nonsense with, you know, student athletes and how we want them to be this and that, that, and this, like all I want as a coach for my kids is I want them to know I believe in them. Right. Um, We had a really good flag football season. I had fun. And what made it fun wasn't the games we won or like when the offense was lighting it up. But it was just the fact that like 
you know, what it means when you tell a young person that you believe in them, right? Like after they make a mistake or, or in practice where you're coaching them with this attentiveness and this amount of love. So one thing that stuck with me a lot that people have been talking about nationally was like Mike McDaniel, right? Like uh, he's the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, we all remember Brian Flores, who was a Dolphins coach previously getting fired for reasons I don't agree with. And there was a lot of racism related to that. But one of the things under Flores' tenureship was that he didn't believe in the quarterback there to a uh, Tungalova, who they, you know, he didn't think that's the guy. They, you know, people thought they picked a bust, especially in a draft with Joe Burrow, the quarterback from the Bengals, and then Justin Herbert, the quarterback from the Chargers, two incredibly good quarterbacks. But Tua has had like a complete renaissance under Mike McDaniel. And then McDaniel gave like this interview to Rich Eisen where he talked about like his philosophy was just when he watched this kid on tape, when he went into the interview, he led the discussions with like, I believe in this kid, right? Like I really do. And that when he got there and he started coaching them, that he wanted this kid, he wanted Tua to know that he loved him and that his well-being, his like all of this was tied together. His success on the field was tied to caring about him as a person. And that he felt this quarterback really needed somebody to believe in him. And that's how he led. And then you juxtapose with this franchise, right? That I think, you know, Bernstein talked about this from 670. Dan Bernstein did that, you know, when I was watching that Monday night football game with all these narratives about Badgett, right? I think we got our ass kicked in that game to the Chargers. But like all this stuff coming in about Justin can learn from him. He's more cerebral. He processes the game better. He, you know, he, he just knows how to think football. Right. And Bernstein made this great point that Chris Collinsworth, who's the one of the play by play folks, wouldn't say that if somebody didn't said it, if it wasn't if the phone call wasn't coming from inside the house, meaning somebody from the Bears is feeding. them. Think about that. You know, think about like, you know, I brought up that quote from Chris Ranji, and this is what Justin has to live with every single day. Right. The problem with Justin, the Justin Fields discourse is he's playing for a team that gives him almost no breathing room for growth. So when he does make a mistake, it's disastrous. If he's not flawless on every single play, the meatballs come out for blood. And on top of that, what we see or what we can assume in between the lines that the team is throwing him under the wagon. Right. And until Badgett went out there and had that disastrous game, like people didn't come to their senses. Right. Even this team realized, like, oh, man, we need Justin out there. But, like, I think a ton about the politics of this, right? There was a coach who interviewed for the Bears job, Jim Caldwell. This is who I wanted, right? African-American head coach. Um, You know, like someone who has always, wherever he's gone, he was also fired from the Lions after he led them to a winning season, right? And it's people have gotten quiet about that because Dan Campbell has turned it around over there. But, like, Caldwell took a Lions team that people thought were pointless and got them winning. And... He came, he interviewed, according to insiders and people report on it, had an amazing plan for the offense. And a lot of it was built around this idea of like how much he wanted to see Justin built up and how much he felt that Justin needed somebody in his corner. Right. And it's 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 to me, I'm reading it as like, you know, African-American head coach, black head coach, black quarterback. Right. Like there is a way to build some community there and like support each other through this very difficult environment. And everything this kid or any player needs, especially young people, you know, and any athlete for people to believe in them has been the opposite of how this franchise is run. And what really hurt me, like in terms of like being a Bears fan, the Bears have hurt me a lot. But like were these weeks of people just like writing Justin off and then the coded language around this, right? Like they spent so much time talking about Badgett and his father's relationship. What does that mean? Why are you going to talk about that? And Justin's father, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to play these narratives of like, you know, the family, which they always do, Justin's dad's a police officer, right? Who's always been in his corner, who loves him. You can't tell me you don't want to sell that to the news or you don't want to talk about that live. They never talk about that, right? Or the fact that this guy's teammates absolutely love him, right? I, like this week has been so, such a juxtaposition because you hear like people in this city being like, he's done, this guy, you know, after the Minnesota game, right? Like two fumbles, you can't do that, fine. He still made that great throw, right? And he still kept his wits about him in a terrible game plan. And I've said this before. If people at home, like when you heard Troy Aikman be like, oh, this is a screen, and they throw a screen, and people at home are like, this is a screen, and they throw a screen, if people at home can call it, that means the people calling the plays have no idea what the hell they're doing. And for me to hear like Keyshawn Johnson, to hear the Bears players, to hear Cam Newton, to hear people really in football say that this kid is incredible. And that he, the Bears got him, 
the Bears got the guy. He needs, you know, like don't draft Caleb. Don't draft Drake May. Build around this guy. This guy's got it. There's, They're alluding to something else in the franchise, offensive coordinator, right? That's who they're alluding to is a problem. This mediocre dude who has never called plays, who rode Aaron, Aaron Rodgers' jock. And think about the politics of that, right? People who, you know, are given the responsibility of developing this kid who has been incredible at every level. We've heard about Justin Fields from high school to college to the NFL. Like, we've heard everything about him. And then you bring this mediocre guy who didn't call the plays in Green Bay, who basically would make probably, you know, uh, would make inside jokes. And, his be- and like, this was Rodgers' boys, by the way. It was Rodgers, Nathaniel Hackett. And if you're a Denver Broncos fan or you're a fan of Russell Wilson, you know what you, know what you want to say about Hackett right now, right? Or, sorry, I'm still in school, uh, if you hear that in the background. Or, and then you had this guy, the Bears offensive coordinator, Luke Getzey. That's who Rodgers was riding with. And both those guys, Hackett got fired in one year from Denver. He sucks on the Jets. And this guy who was did not call any plays, did not do anything, is now in charge of Justin. And he constantly takes digs at Justin. And, like, I, I just can't take out these elements, right? Like, the things they said about Badgett. He processes the game faster. He's so much more, he's so much more coachable, right? He, he gets the ball out. He sees the field. And then the politics of understanding that this, like, I can't find the right words. I keep saying fail son or someone failing forward. But, like, this guy who has nowhere near the credentials of Justin being in charge of the development of this kid who we were lucky to get at 11, who we were blessed to get at 11. Even that draft, right, where this guy has put on tape just success and that he can play and that, you know what you do with these quarterbacks, like what they did with Lamar Jackson? You play to their strengths while you coach them over this time to help them develop their weaknesses. That's how you develop a QB, right? It's, of course, harder, but it's a simple science, right? You build a system off of what they do good while they're getting better at weaknesses because you're NFL coaches. You get paid to do that. And we've seen that with Lamar and with Justin. It's never been there, right? They refuse to build a system around him. They refuse to coach his weaknesses. Like, he was dropping back faster with Nagy. He was throwing a more decisive ball. And now they've overcoached him where his dropbacks are Rodgers-esque, slow, methodical, without the Rodgers O-line. And that he's afraid to take shots sometimes because literally, like Chris Ranji said, every single decision he's doing is being dissected. And then you're looking all the way in Miami, and then you have a quarterback and a coach who, like, care about each other. And a coach who had to talk his quarterback out of, like, like McDaniel got so close to Tua where he was like asking him questions like, where is this self negative self-talk coming from? Like the same things we do in the classroom with our kids when they say they can, they don't believe that they can do these things, right? Like I get emotional because I do, I do what amazing, I, I get to do the best job on the planet. And I love it when I see other people do that with young people. So when you have like Mike McDaniel willing to talk to Tua about, yo, where's this negative self-talk coming from? Believe in yourself. You got this, you got this, Right. And then you watch this quarterback in Chicago who you love, right? Like, just constantly be just nitpicked, nitpicked. And racially, like, racial overtones existing around him. It sucks to be a bear said with all that. When you when you really, really critically count it, like, critically dissect this stuff. Oh, that's a great riff. Uh, it's really a metaphor for Chicago, if I may. Because... Uh, if it sucks to be a Bears fan, it sucks to be a Chicago fan <laughs> in general, considering the history. And I, we're not going to get political, but just think about how we've handled the migrant crisis, which is not even a crisis. It's an opportunity. Uh, and just from start to finish, what a disaster that's been by the people, all the people in charge in this city. So, yes, it's very challenging to love Chicago. What did Doc Rivers say? Uh, he was talking about... Um, he was talking about 2020, right after George Floyd uh, was, was uh, killed. Uh, and um, it was the, the NBA was in the, in the bubble, and they were thinking of going on strike over another police shooting. The players were just going to walk out. Uh, remember that Doc Rivers quote, uh, we love America, but America doesn't love us back. And it's like, kind of like, we love Chicago, but Chicago doesn't love us back. And, uh, yeah, no, I hear you, man. That's true. So, obviously, uh, your first piece of advice, following this, the man in charge, I assume, is Kevin Warren. All right? Uh, Kevin Warren came to the Bears, highly regarded uh, as the lead of the commissioner of the Big Ten, oversaw 
the emergence of the Big Ten as a super conference. There's the, it's called the Big Ten, but I believe there's like 20 teams in there. Uh, I think 18. I forget. I lost count how many teams are in the Big Ten. doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is he, Kevin Warren, was the one who engineered that. Uh, he's If he succeeds with the Bears, he could re- replace Goodell uh, as commissioner of football. I believe that. I believe that's that's his background. To succeed with the Bears, he's got to build a stadium, all right, in which case he'll be up against people like me and you <laughs> who will be against him, at least when it comes to public finance. So, uh, and he has to build a successful team on the field. So his first decision, his first big decision, everybody goes, oh, it's whether you yeah, Justin Field. No, his first big decision is does he keep Ryan Poles as his general manager because ultimately that's the guy whose job is to select the players. And you talked earlier about everything that goes into evaluating whether somebody is up for the job as general manager, has to do with salaries, has to do with evaluating uh, draft choices, assets, etc. Do you believe Kevin Warren should keep Ryan Poles as general manager of the Chicago Bears? Uh, this is hard. Um you know, I, I'm not a big fan of switching over unless things are re- like really egregious. Um, and my brother, like that conversation was intense because he was just like, man, you, you like, you're the one who's always harping on mediocrity and that we shouldn't accept mediocrity. And you're like, you know, I'm, I was defending polls, right? Cause again, my four are, you know, how have they managed the cap and the bears have a great cap, right? So you got to give them a check mark there. How have they managed assets? The bears have the Panthers first pick. They got, they will have another high pick, and they've done a great job trading and accumulating picks. Um, roster, con- like, how have they done in the draft? Like, I feel like they've done good. I feel like they've found some good players there, right? Like, Darnell Wright, it looks like he's going to be a tackle for a while. Javon Dex- Dexter is coming on so well. Tyreek Stevenson has the what you absolutely want from a kid playing cornerback. Um, you know, the, other folks that they've drafted, Kyler Gordon has turned into a stud. So I think they're drafting well, right? But like, so you've got cap management, asset management, you've got, you know, roster development. And then, uh, you know, you think about, and I'll get to some of the other nuances that become questionable, sorry, questionable, uh, but the coaching staff, I think that was a disaster, right? I think, which is interesting right now, because again, we've been hurting under the Iberflus era and the Nagy era, like after, you know, Nagy's first year where we're like, Right now, everybody in Chicago is like, yo, we got this defense right, like to the point where the meatheads call in on the radio show and they're like, you think there's a way to convince Iberflus to just become a defensive coordinator? And you know, like, as if that's going to happen, right? Hey, coach, uh, we're just going to demote you. <laughs> we're going to bring another dude in. Like, okay, listen to yourself, right? Um, but like, you know, the Chase Claypool trade was awful. Uh, we're still going to have these debates for a while when you had a chance at the defensive tackle, Jalen Carter. At, who's on the Eagles, right? Who people think is going to be a generational player. Uh, you passed on him. Um, there's going to be some discussions about the fact that you you really did some damage to a developing quarterback last year, where you put him on a very bad team. Like I don't, we didn't even talk about that, right? <clears throat> what did it mean? And how, like, really take a second to think about what they gave Justin last year. Like they let this poor kid just get beat up, and he still shined. Right, he still found a way with guys with the with the receivers who majority of them aren't in the NFL anymore, right? With people who aren't on the NFL anymore, right? A team that accumulated the first pick and the quarterback at one point was on a five game streak where he was the best damn quarterback in the league. You could make an argument about that. Um, like you have to really take those in consideration, especially such a coaching miss. My thing about Kevin Warren is this. There's so much stuff out there that you have to kind of figure out what's going on. Obviously, the some of the primary news that came out was that, you know, he wants more of a say in football operations and that, you know, if Ibraflus looks like he's going to go, but like that defense looks really good, right? Like they look really good with him calling it now. Um, and But it did, made no mention of getting rid of polls. Uh, there was a rumor about Jim Harbaugh, right? Dan Rossini from ESPN was like, Jim Harbaugh, like the Bears have talked about Harbaugh. But like a lot of Bears insiders are like, no, that's Harbaugh's camp. They have a history of just putting that stuff out there. And like for Harbaugh to come to Chicago, he's going to have to accept like that he won't have power, which to me insinuates that, you know, like it won't work with him in polls, right? I do think the Bears keep polls because I think a lot about that when we hired him, McCaskey went to pick him up from the airport. 
right? Like old man McCaskey loves this guy. I think they, I think they stick with polls. I think if they go on a heater right now, if they go on a heater right now, I genuinely think that Iberflus will end up staying and they'll try to find an offensive coordinator. But then you got to ask a myriad of questions like, who's going to come and take this offensive coordinator job that's reputable when they when there's a potential lame duck situation at coach, right? Because like all this year is going to buy Matt Iberflus is another year. This is not going to buy. There's no way this team is going to finish in a way where people are like, we got ourselves one of the next great coaches. It's not going to happen. Well, let me just uh, uh, point out something to you that I got from you. Quote you to you. Uh, or at least one of the many texts that you sent me, the Bears still can make the playoffs. I told her, I sent that text you sent to me to all my Bear friends. We were talking about it at the Bulls game, man. We were laughing like, these busters could make the playoffs after this horrible season. Uh, They have to win out, okay? All right, which is a huge thing. Uh, Uh. but uh, their defense has looked better, and um, yeah, and so I don't think there's any of these teams are that good. I'm sorry, guys, I'm not that impressed. The Bears lost two games that they absolutely should have won. All right, there's no doubt about it, and uh, so it's not like uh, the Denver Broncos or the Detroit Lions are that great. So my point is, if the Bears win out and make the playoffs, which is just I know ludicrous thought, but let the matter he, he's going to get an extension. I don't think so. I think he, I think just he won't get fired. I don't think he get. Oh no, he's got. I think if he gets get to the playoffs, extension. I think if he gets to the one, he has no leverage. I think you know. I, I I think you have to realize like outside of the Bears, people people in the league have really have diminished their opinion on Iberflus because. There's clearly something wrong when you have two coaches getting fired mid, you know, at the beginning of the year and midway through the year. There's a lot of issues there. Um, I think it gets him a year, but, and I think it gets him – it gets like – if you get to the playoffs this year, they're going to – like Ryan Poles will make the moves needed to build this roster, free agency and the draft, for them to be like a threat to the Eagles next year. Like he's going to spend the summer doing that. And Matt Eberflus better be ready to win like 11 or 12 games next year or else he's going to get fired and they're going to say to whoever the big names are out there or the potential hot candidates, look what we got. We're here. We got a team. We got the team, right? And the thing is, this is going to get so complicated if they make the playoffs. Do you then reset the team's clock, right? Because there's no guarantee that drafting a quarterback, he's just going to pick up where the previous quarterback who got you in the playoffs is, and with a roster that's getting constructed to win now, is ready, right? All it does is reset the contract clock. I don't think that I don't think so, Ben. Like, I I think it'll. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I will go one step deeper. The the way the scenario you're illustrating, the extension happens, is if they get to the playoffs and they somehow get to the NFC Championship game against the Eagles or something. Okay, okay. That's exactly, exactly. First, exactly. First of all, let's put the let's put the the peace pipe away. And because uh, they aren't getting in the playoffs. They're not winning five in a row. <laughs> they barely beat the Vikings. <laughs> okay. So I'm just saying that you sent me that text. I was laughing out loud. I sent it to about a dozen different people. Well, it was like I'm last like, night's game. They put up the infographic of like who's in the hunt, right? And somebody was like, you know, somebody on uh, one of the on one of the Twitter pages was like, and we have a group chat. So people send me these tweets and I'm like laughing because I'm not on any social media anymore. Um but like a friend sent it. He's like, man, I just like someone literally in the group chat was like, I just wanted more expanded graphic, right? Like where it shows the bears. And then my other friend was like, found it. <laughs> and that's what I forwarded to you. <laughs> Cause I'm like, this is, I'm like, I love it because like, if there's a franchise base that's going to sit there and do the calculations, it's us. Where it's like, okay, Green Bay's got to lose here. They got to lose here. Yeah. No, the no, stadium, it's unbelievable. The stadium's got to con- collapse yeah. in San Francisco and we're in. <laughs> like yeah, all these scenarios. Yeah, we're in. No, it's amazing. Uh, it's but uh, but the Seahawks did lose, so that's one step of the equation. They, I, I yeah, I was saying that to the guys at the at the game last night. The Seahawks, the Seahawks blew the lead. The Seahawks blew the lead. Yep, yep, <laughs> I'm yep. such a deluded Chicago Amen. fan. Uh, let me just point out something about incredibly pathetic about uh, me and social media. My social media guy just said he's off social media. Okay. 
This is the guy I depend on for Twitter. Oh, okay. I'm off social media. That's good. Stay off social media. It's, it's just a cesspool. Um, all right. So uh, I here's what I'll tell you. If I, I, I would keep Ryan Poles, I would keep Justin Fields, uh, and I would uh, get a, um, a new uh, coach. And definitely, I, oh, my God. Uh, definitely a new offensive uh, coordinator. That's, that's I, I mean, that's the tough part, right? Because like, ideally, like if we were playing a game or we were, you know, constructing a roster, if we were in there, that's what you would want to do. Like, I want Justin. I'm okay if Ryan Poles stays. With Matt Eberflus, like, I am enjoying because we're Bears fans, right? We do love when the defense is killing it, and I'm waiting to see if this defense is for real or not. And like seeing like, you know, a couple of folks broke down some of the tape. Like I like watching the all 22 and then watching some of the YouTube channels that broke it down. Like this defense has gone from this like basic cover two to like a static cover three, cover two mesh. That's why you're seeing Jalen Johnson get like jump routes. And also it's like triggered now because like Iberflus's defense is predicated on the front four getting a rush. And you got Montez Sweat, who's awesome. You got Javon Dexter, who's starting to play really well and come on. And then you have a good rotation of guys who are kind of like mid to, you know, okay. Like, and then Andrew Billings, who has been like a complete, you know, revelation. And they're getting there. And seeing Iberflus like trick people and scheme out of it, like, like they weren't getting that much pressure on Jared Goff and they still got four turnovers off of him. That means that you're coaching up your guys to know his tendencies really well. And you're showing a scheme on the back end that Goff can't decipher post snap. So I, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I do think if you do hire a new coach, right. I, I don't think there's a, I don't think many coaches, unless you're hiring someone who really desperately wants a job and you believe in Justin and that you're hiring them for that reason to fix Justin or to give Justin what he deserves. If you get a new coach, then you have to you have to almost at this point say that they're going to draft Caleb Williams or Drake May based on the evaluation, right? And it's it's such a tough pill to swallow because like one criticism, like right now, it's specifically hard to swallow because you love Justin Fields, but one criticism criticism that we have about this franchise is that they never do things right. They hire the coach and then they hire the GM, then they hire the president, then they bring in a quarterback, they hold they bring over the quarterback from the last last group, then they hire a coach. Or then they hire the GM. The GM stuck with this guy. Like, you know, like all this nonsense. And now you're like, okay, we have a president that everybody respects whose main job is to build a new stadium. You have a GM who people think is around the league, think is a good one. And he's checking two out of the four boxes of evaluation. And then you could argue that he's heading towards the third. And now he's working on the fourth, a good coaching staff. And if you're going to bring in a coach then, and that coach says, you know, I kind of like this guy. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to give that coach that decision, right? You're gonna. You can't. Like, how would you feel as fans? And I say this so painfully, thinking about what reality is facing us. If we were to say to the coach that you got to make Justin Fields work, unless Justin just goes on an absolute heater, and then listening to Troy Aikman yesterday say that the Bears already know, and like these last five games won't prove much because they already know what they want to do, right? It made me really think. And then Troy Aikman also made the statement that I think every one of us have been making, right? Which I like really appreciated. This is a good quarterback saying that, listen, like essentially I'm, you know, I didn't win three Super Bowls because of me. I won because we had a hell of a team around me and I had great coaches. Like we built a team that I could like, you know, that could cover so many of my gaps while I was learning. And then we had coaches who really coached me up to play to the strengths I could play. And we have a chance at that, right? We do. We do, and it's almost strange. Like, we don't like Eberflus, but you have to be rooting for Eberflus if you want them to keep Justin more than a new coach. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough, and I'll close with this. This is the reality. The, the funny thing about a, the way a football season works, and, and, and to me, the perverse pleasure I get out of a football season is that there's a game and then there's a week of talking about the game. And so whatever the emotion is that you're coming off that game dictates the conversation of the week. So if it's a loss... It's gloom and doom, and it's gloom and doom multiplied by 50 years of bare ineptitude with the exception of that one glorious season that no one ever tires of talking about, all right? And then it's when you think back to the beginning of the season, all the so-called experts, 
predicted the Bears would be about 7 and 10. Okay? 7 and 10. I got I took a picture of all the predictions that the Sun-Times experts, I got them in quotes, but that's what they predicted. So right now the Bears are 4 and 8. They could easily finish 7 and 10, which is means, you know what guys? For all your moaning and groaning about the coach, he got out of this squad what you, the experts, said he was going to get out of the squad. And that's just the, that's the reality. Muiz, you know, it's uh, – then the Bears have to decide whether that's good enough. And uh, that – yeah, well, then that's the Bears. Uh, so, all right, very good. We have run out of time, young man. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, – Ladies and gentlemen, he did it. I hope you can't see it, but from some kind of office in his school, some kind of room, some kind of classroom. I don't know what it is. Uh, and uh, so the man uh, put in overtime uh, to come on my humble podcast. So thank you very much, Louise. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me, John Cass. I mean, Ben Jarofsky. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of your Illinois Policy Institute <laughs> podcast. Um, I, that's who's doing it, right? You left the reader. My bad, Ben. Sorry, yeah. I just slipped that in. Yeah, he's a funny guy, you know. And Louise will be at Zany's this weekend doing uh, stand up. Okay, yeah. It's, uh, you just throw tomatoes at me. Career. That's what I'll be doing over there. Uh, and uh, just tee up, tee, uh, tee him up, baby. <laughs> All right, that's uh, Louise Buani. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 